0: This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for June 15th, 2021. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, where we talk about everything by talking about video games. I'm Drew Messenger Michaels. I'm Lucia Valentino. And as you're listening to us, we're in E3. We're not quite in the middle of E3, we're it's winding down. Uh, when you're hearing this, most of the stuff has happened, Nintendo notably has not yet. Uh we we know Elden Ring exists. That's big. Uh and we know I'm a lot super of other excited for Elden ones. Ring. Uh, me too. Me too. And and low key, Souls-wise, a sequel to Salt and Sanctuary, Salt and Sacrifice, which has online co-op. That's a thing we're definitely going to play you and I. Uh, so very exciting things, you know, including but not limited to that stuff. That said, I know during E3 week or afterwards, after all this stuff's been announced, but most of it's not out yet, I sometimes get the desire to think about literally anything else. And I, we don't have all these new games yet. So we thought we'd take a moment to talk about not new games, uh, the idea of replaying and things that are related to replaying, remakes, remasters, re-releases. Uh, so let's dive into that. Uh, but I mean, maybe the right place to start is, uh, Lucy, you, you straight up replay games way more often than I do. I think, I think it's fair to say. So, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that and for the, I was kind of thinking, well,
1: one, um, replay could be the word, but it could also just be that there, I, I, for the first time in what year did destiny two come out? I think was that 2017, 2016, um, that Destiny 2 was really the first game I got into that sort of uh, built to be ongoing. Like uh, I had friends in high school that really liked uh, world of Warcraft and um, did the whole like subscription model to get new content and play this game, you know, ostensibly forever. Um, So in that way, I definitely, Destiny 2 was sort of the first game that I've played ongoing and you're right as far as me replaying games. um, But the games that I re, play have a sort of replay value built in if that makes any sense i was trying to think of the last game i replayed that was just um just because i wanted to have the like you know same experience again so when i was thinking about it i think it comes down to me playing destiny 2 ongoing me playing the soul series kind of like anytime and then the last game i just straight up replayed i actually
0: could not think of what what did, did did you have anything in your head that you could that's think interesting of? that's interesting well so i mean so the yeah basically i made a list of things that are not quite replaying but are related and forever games definitely belong on that list right like destiny is a game that is designed for you to come back to it um but but Destiny 2, for me at least, like it's it, it's on the bubble a little bit because like I you know you've you've kept at it longer than I have, but we've both definitely like checked in with each update, which is something I enjoy doing. That's kind of how I play Monster Hunter, for example. Enjoy is kind of a strong word when it comes to Destiny 2. <laughs> well, in Monster Hunter,
1: in your case, kind of like how and, enjoy is a strong word when it comes to me in Monster
0: Hunter. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like there is there is a sense in which forever games become a become a job, and that's that's by design. But I was going to say with Destiny Two, like I, you know, when when vanilla Destiny Two was around, I did play the campaign through with each class, and that felt a little bit more like replaying. I guess there was a little bit of a meta aspect to it because you could like give, you could share equipment across your characters or something like that. But it, you know, the, like I guess when I talk about canonical replaying, I'm talking about in ways that aren't designed in. And one that I did right. recently was I so <laughs> something else that is related to replays but is not a replay would be remakes or remasters. Uh, so I played the the remake of Nier um and then after that replayed Nier Automata. And, and before that's Before that it. you played uh, Demon Souls, right? That's that's true. That's true. Yeah, I did play Demon Souls. I didn't I didn't uh, replay any Souls game, other Souls games end to end after playing Demon Souls, whereas I did straight up boot up Nier Automata, which is a game that like it's long, right? And it's an interesting one because there is repetition built into the structure. You do, you do, do, you know, story beats and, and things, you know, from sideways angles multiple times, but that's, that in a weird way made it an especially rewarding replay because like all of the things from the early game before the loop starts happening are really clever and, and they're things I'd forgotten. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an kind interesting like Watching like a well-structured movie. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. But of course, you know, the the straight up remake culture is a little bit more endemic to games than perhaps it is to films, right? Like well, there's a remake, lot of remakes, and, but...
1: Remake and remaster, it's what you mentioned both words, remake and remaster, because they do kind of take different meanings. I was trying to think back to like what's like one of the earliest remakes I could think of or remasters, depending on how you want to look at it. And uh, for, a, one... for a
0: game or a, or a movie? For a game, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The
1: earliest one I thought of actually was uh, I remember being at your dad's house and playing uh, Super Mario All-Stars. Which I I don't know that that game is technically. I mean, okay, so there's definitely new sprites, but I don't know if they just we're very old sprites. Over let's explain (laughs) what we're talking
0: about. So Super Mario All Stars was a cartridge for the Super Nintendo, yes, uh, which collected Mario Brothers one, two, and three, and also the the Mario Brothers two from Japan, which it referred to as the lost levels. But it you know it was all the same levels. It was new sprites. I think some of the some of the physics were a little bit different. That's what um, I was trying to
1: remember. I couldn't remember if like I had built a new code into it or if it was a, you know, basically the same game.
0: Yeah, Luigi for sure had soap on his shoes in the lost levels, but I think that was true in the original release as well. I I think there were differences, but they were relatively subtle. And then Nintendo kept doing that. There were those like Mario Advance games for Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. uh that were that were you know likewise like i mean the, the big thing they changed besides graphics was sounds right they replaced the mm, noise with like whoa you know like that was <laughs> that was kind of their uh their claim because you could with the hardware right yeah so so it's like i mean my, my main point in bringing that up was just that uh we it has been
1: sort of a a, a newish thing but it's not unprecedented you know like it, it's, it's something definitely that's not been well i mean all the yeah while.
0: all the earliest consoles too i mean like those were those were remakes of arcade games the whole you know the one of the selling points of of one's first console if one is old enough was to take the arcade experience home you know like super mario brothers the first one was actually a little bit unusual in that it was this like bespoke experience for home console you know even though it it, it looked vaguely arcade-ish like mm-hmm. you know obviously yeah 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 whereas mario brothers without the super you know that was here's an arcade game played at home or here you know donkey kong or whatever and the right. differences between those are interesting and subtle and all of that the game industry has always done this. I think you're right that it's a recent phenomenon that it's like it's not that you can't see the difference <laughs> and, and, and in a way, it's a it's a credit to the skill of, for example, Bluepoint, who did the Demon Souls remake that while I was playing, I was like, is, does this even look that different at times? And then you go back and you compare the p s three graphics and the you know the, the not even the highest budget p s three game graphics to what they did. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is quite different. Yeah. but I, but I think what's interesting about it is it, um, it almost wants you to be doing what I was doing, which is like seeing the old one in your head while you look at the new one. It expects you a bit to blend the two. Mm, and like mm. that gets into the thing that makes me a little uneasy about remakes and that and that makes me want to embrace replaying more than I psychologically do, which is like I, I love that we have these shiny new versions of games that didn't do great the first time. The idea of them replacing the old versions Kind of makes me nervous. That, yeah, that I, seemed... hadn't,
1: I You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought of it as being a replacement. I sort of just. Okay, so uh, I guess cards on the table. Uh, we are recording this in two sections. So maybe this first part will be sort of setting the, the groundwork and then us talking about it. But something that um, I was thinking about was sort of the, the, the different nature of uh, remaking, remastering, etc. So, like, you have games like what we just talked about, where you're basically like uh, Mario All Stars, where you're basically mm-hmm. bringing the, the same. Game forward in terms of you know graphic appearance and even availability because I'm, I'm guessing at that point maybe Nintendo's weren't like you know NES's, um, Famicom's were not being made at that point. So, the certainly only way Nintendo to... was
0: interested in stopping selling them, right? So,
1: at that point, you know, it, it behooves them, you know, the, these games that they've built their legacy on to kind of move them forward, uh, to make them available to like maybe a new generation of you know video game players. Um, and then you have Something kind of maybe in the middle, like uh, the recent Resident Evil remakes, which are mostly the same game in terms of like beats and um, setting, and um, you know, but 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 tweaked obviously for graphics and because they were interested in um, trying out their new RE engine, Um, and uh, it plays a little differently, obviously, because the original was um, top down, and the new ones are over the shoulder, and then you have games like uh, Final Fantasy. 7 uh, Remake, which example, yeah. I, I'm trying to think if there's another example of that kind of game. Final Fantasy 7 Remake might be the first of its kind, where y- Remake is a really, like, it's on the nose, like, you're, you're actually making it play incredibly different from how it was originally.
0: The, almost the, nar- the narrative is, like, is, is a meta-narrative about yeah, the idea of remaking it, it.
1: yeah. Yeah, the, the appearance and story is almost, like, unrecognizable to someone who's played the original, as far as, like, you know, tone and um aesthetic so yeah what are what are we kind of like getting into here are we kind of like putting it all under an umbrella or are we kind of considering just more of the what what drives us to that you brought up like i said the point about um replacing which i hadn't considered um yeah i we, think it's all of the of above because, here?
0: yeah well there we, we did dive straight into the deep end which you and i do which, <laughs> which which i enjoy hopefully the listener is enjoying it too if hey if if our maelstrom of words bothers you let us know um <laughs> I think I think people are along for the ride. But but no, it's like I guess I wanted to sort out the psychological effect of all these ones that are different. I mean, I started with the premise that you straight up replay things. You'll just take an old favorite and replay it more than I do. But maybe maybe mm. that's not even necessarily true. Um, you know, like I, I for me that's a personality thing. Maybe let's lay that card on the table. Like I I don't reread books that often because it's just like kind of the way I read is I read very slowly and I, I retain a lot um and so you know generally my brain is like but you could read something else by the same author <laughs> or something like that mm-hmm. but obviously in especially dense book or whatever i'm going to get something out of a second read so i'm 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 usually very glad that i did it when i went back and you know some games for me nier automata certainly was very much like that you know but there you know there're only so many hours in the day and it, even though i love yakuza 0 it's way more likely that I'm going to play Yakuza four and five, which I haven't played, than go back and play zero again. You know, mm-hmm. um, but but the remake remaster thing, yeah, the replacement thing is the thing that makes me nervous because I mean, like, there's an undeniable sense in which uh, you know, at the time you bought Super Mario All Stars most people had, or it was still possible to get the original versions of those games. Nintendo has not been the best about preservation, but they were just so dang popular that, you know, none of that stuff got too buried. Whereas, I mean, how do you play the original Demon Souls, right? As, as a practical matter, you do it on an emulator, unless you happen to have a PS3 and a, and a PS3 copy of it kicking around, neither of which I don't think you can commercially buy, you know? so Yeah, like,
1: I mean, definitely not commercially. And I, I think... Uh... I actually haven't checked in, and I know that stonks are a thing, but um, is the sort of uh, video game resell model still a thing? I know GameStop exists, but I'm thinking of like the old days of like Funko Land, where you'd walk in and there'd literally just be like a like a wire uh, uh, bucket of you know Sega Genesis and uh, Super Nintendos and all that. (laughs) I like is there is there any kind of way to do that other than just like like you said, like online eBay
0: or... Well, we live in hell. So everything has gotten (laughs) hyper rare over the past year, year and a half. Can't think why. It's almost like people are pent up and bored and the economy is collapsing. But I mean, like some retro games are selling for obscene amounts of money, right? Like the the market Mm. has exploded such that if your goal is just to play a Super Nintendo, play a Super Nintendo game on a Super Nintendo, you're, you're not just like going to... You know, I mean, maybe you're going to Pink Gorilla, right? If you're, if you happen to be in Seattle, for example, there are cool local retro game shops, but generally, most people are paying extortionate prices on eBay, because uh, you know, because there aren't going to be more of them, and interest is only expanding. Um, yeah, it's, and this, of course, gets into all sorts of other interesting things about, you know, again, preservation and archiving and things that, things that only happen when people steal from work and pirate things, right. Um, because that's the other thing. One way that I would would always replay, let's stick with Nintendo games for a second, is when something came out on one of the virtual consoles that was a favorite. I would replay it. You know, I think I've played A Link to the Past, for example, on every system it's ever been on. Um, you know, when Kirby Superstar came out on Switch, uh, we should still do a co op playthrough of that at some point. But I, you know, I mm-hmm. replayed it in single player. Um, and what's interesting about those is that they're kind of, especially with with the Switch, where with a little bit of doing, you can get both the the, the Western release and the Japanese release, or the North American release and the Japanese release. Is they're different, right? Like, especially in the NES era, there kind of is no definitive version of uh, Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, for example. Mm, like, they, yeah. they look a bit different, they sound a bit different, because the the Famicom had had an extra sound channel over over the NES. But then they redesigned some things and rebalanced some things for the north american one so all of that to say like sometimes when i replay it's to compare different versions sometimes it's because they put out a shiny new version that i'm you know that that's definitely fun to engage with i seem to play a lot of ps3 games on my ps5 but i i do feel like there's something to embracing just like revisiting an old favorite you're saying you mostly do that when the game wants you to do that when the game is designed to keep you coming back
1: Maybe yeah, I maybe I
0: underestimated that effect on you.
1: No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think what you pick up on is the fact that I do play through the Soul series specifically. Um, at any given time, they're one of the, to me uh, one of the most fun uh, games to play through. I'm also a fighting game enthusiast, so I often come back, uh, dip in and out of different fighting games. That's um, an interesting
0: one, right? Because that's that's just that's another one where it's continuing to play, not replaying, right? right There's no right, beginning, middle and end exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's what I was going to say, but when it comes to narrative stories, I I know that since having children, that's gotten to be trickier to want to invest that time. I mean, I have a hard time even playing a new game that I know is um more narrative game. I I've never to this day played through NieR Automata because I know that it's uh it's something where the headspace for me is sort of like a book. Like, I want to be able to sit and really just do it without distraction, and I cannot, which is why um, familiar games, like you've said, uh, the, like the, the Soul series that I dive into, or like Destiny 2 are easy to jump into. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, like a beginning, middle, and end kind of story or, you know, game. Probably the last one I replayed through, and I don't even know if this counts, was um, Legend of Zelda, because. No, I hmm. guess it doesn't count because I'd never actually been through So yeah, I was going to say, I honestly, yeah, that was I you couldn't. coming late to something you'd never played before. <laughs> right. I, like. I, yeah, I honestly, I, I couldn't say. I think for me, I guess the trend is more, uh, yeah, the Soul Series. The Soul Series. Let, let, let's keep it simple and say those. Those are easy to play through because it, it's so rich and dense. And um, there's always, I shouldn't say always, but there's often people um, that I know who have not played it or missed one or the other. And I'm currently doing like a Bloodborne playthrough
0: with a, another friend, which, you know, you jump on with us every now and then. You hit on two of the things that are like classical replayability, because this is something the game industry was obsessed with for, you know, I mean, it always is to a certain degree. But the idea of replayability, the idea of you keep playing the game rather than forgetting about it or selling it back to GameStop or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. I I, I said that weird because I was half saying GameStonk. We live in strange (laughs) times. Anyway, um, showing it to a friend, playing through with a friend if it's co-op or just like rolling a new class in an rpg or you know trying a new route in an action right game or a new strat or whatever these are like sort of the the reasons from time immemorial to revisit a game
1: yeah and you know i i will say as far as um not actually doing it but thinking about it the most recent itch i've had was um the mass effect 3 remaster which i'm mm. still on the fence about um and it kind of came down to me not just wanting just not wanting to pay full price for it because um Mass Effect 3, or sorry, I guess not 3, just the series, the trilogy. I say 3 because I'm- The three of Mass three Effect. Games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the three Mass Effects. Um, so the Mass Effect trilogy is, uh, I, I guess it's, I don't think it's as divisive as I think in my head because I was late to the game. I think just the ending was divisive, but I think for the most part, people would agree that the experience of getting through those games and like just the character writing is really what makes it so enjoyable. Um for those reasons, I've kind of wanted to play through just to see there was a little bit of a pull as far as um like, you know, it looking prettier, but from what I've heard, it's not a huge difference. And so that's kind of what stopped me because again, I, I might've been more interested in a, I guess we'll say a remake in the sense of like, you know, whole new textures, like maybe yeah. not having to mess with the, uh, the engine. But um, from what I know, I think they just upscale the textures a little bit, which, you know, is not bad for someone who's never played through the game, but if you have, it just isn't, for me, it's not enough to pull It's a bit in. of
0: both, I think. Yeah, there's yeah. assets. It's an interesting case because there are assets they redid, and then there are just like textures they upscaled, to your point. It's also one of those games where it probably behooves you to wait a little because a lot of the mods that worked in the old version are, are going to be able to work in the new version but don't yet. For example, the stuff that puts back in the, the queer romance stuff, the cut or semi-cut content. Um so yeah so yeah cuz they cuz they're famously for those who don't know there were a bunch of lines for I'm trying I'm trying to think what the specific examples are I think like a like a woman shepherd romancing uh, Mar- uh, Miranda for example that stuff those lines were like in the game but weren't available in the in the final version oh, um, I know or, or even like like I, I believe the way if you pay attention to the way the Tali conversations are structured it, it almost seems like <laughs> it's leading up to to something, you know, even if you're not a, a dude Shep who is canonically uh, only bro Shep can romance Tali. So, so anyway, there are mods that make that stuff accessible uh, that are currently not available in the Legendary Edition and all that. But these are the, the Mass Effect tr- uh, Legendary Edition trilogy thing uh, is also an interesting case for me because there's there's part of me that's like, yeah, I'd revisit those games. And there's part of me that's like, well, I never played Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, would (laughs) my time be better spent playing the black sheep of the series, um, which I already have on game pass. Now the game pass includes bits of EA play, I think. So, so it's definitely a a point where like, I'm pretty confident I'll enjoy it more if I go back and play the legendary edition trilogy, but there's that, there is that part of me that's like, as a critic of the form, I want to like see as many different things as possible. So. Yeah, yeah. I feel that push and that pull in my head. And I guess that's that's where I thought you and I were different. Where I feel that dumb O C D guilt about going like like I had so much guilt when I started replaying Near Automata because I'm like, this is a long game. Guilt. I played it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, like like this time could be better spent, which is an insane thing to think about playing a video game. Uh um, funny. Yeah. Like, that's like, like I, I guess
1: that's another almost like I mean, Destiny two is meant to and you know, other ongoing games are meant to feel like jobs, but that's funny that you almost self-impose the idea of a game as a job like like you said <laughs> that you need to just not work on the same project over and over it's time to like move on to the next
0: thing <laughs> yeah I, I guess the feeling is like um you know how some people like go on the same vacation every year and there's there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. but somewhere in my brain it's like but there's so much of the world i haven't seen you know yeah um yeah and and as a practical matter you know i do usually go somewhere new yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's it, again. This is a me problem, but I think it's probably not unique to me. So it's worth you know vocalizing.
1: No, and that's funny too because like when it comes to other things, like uh, like you were, you had mentioned uh, books. For me, uh, rereading a book is. I feel no guilt. I guess I I got into it with and you know feel free to slam me in the comments. Um, one of my favorite books is Catching the Rye. I know a lot of people hate it. I still feel like uh, it's kind of become cool to shit on it, and that it's. Sort of misunderstood, like it's lost some of its uh, intention, but that's just my reading. Obviously. We just have you I'm under g-
0: monitoring now. That's all.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but what's fun about that book is rereading it um, at different ages. Like I remember reading it um, on the, I remember reading it as a teenager and then rereading it on my way to go visit you actually uh, in Chicago as a young adult and then rereading it after um, having kids. And um, there's just a lot of different ways to read that character. And so I, I you know, I would say the same thing about, um, kind of any medium whether it's film or games it's like that uh you do pick up on something different or there's like a different lens so i guess this is my way of trying to tell you that i don't think you need to feel guilty but no i, know uh, I don't especially because yeah. uh especially because you you do play so much new stuff i think it's fine to stop every once in a while and just go back and enjoy slash you know rediscover or find new things in something you already did
0: totally well i mean and if i did go back and play mass effect i'd probably do you know, a mostly Renegade playthrough, which I didn't do last time, which which would be. That's a fascinating thing, because from
1: what I understand, there's like I've watched a, I listened to a couple of uh, podcasts uh, as as a result of the uh, trilogy being announced and people talking about it again. Um, and one of the things I seem to see consistently is that there actually isn't really a point <laughs> to the Renegade <laughs> meter. And well, that's I, a whole other issue. Something like eight
0: percent of players. Uh, right. According to one metric anyway, uh, actually. Did that <laughs> in the original
1: right and and it's you know and it, and it kind of lays bare the whole thing about you know like uh you as the player get to make the choice when you know if you do that you're arriving at uh the same uh, the same place anyway, uh, at least the way it was sold because you know other games have done that a little more elegantly, like um you know they vary mileage may vary as far as quality, but like the telltale games that was that was never like the selling point was never like you know your choices affect uh the outcome as far as like um the storytelling beats it was more like how how does your character inhabit the world and it always felt like that it never felt like you know getting to the same ending as other people was like oh well that's stupid um,
0: <laughs> i think it's it's both because i mean the games do say you know your choices affect the way the story progresses right like they they sold it as though the changes oh, right, would it be bigger but i don't but know it's maybe slight I, of hand. maybe
1: i took that a little more literally because it was like progresses versus you know i think the hang up with the mass effect 3 ending was that people wanted to have their own ending and it felt more like it was shoehorned. I, I could be wrong because I yeah. wasn't, you know, I wasn't a part of the conversation at the time it happened and I know a lot of people were Yeah, no people were but, people uh, were angry
0: that there that, that it wasn't like uh wasn't like, you know <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't wasn't like Fallout New Vegas, wasn't like Planescape Torment. was that there wasn't like you know, that it didn't um do that 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 C R P G thing where your more obscure choices were reflected. Like it, they felt like it wasn't answering back for the things they'd they'd done exactly, the things they chose. Exactly. Chosen. Yeah. yeah which is which is fair I, I think you could make an argument that that was the whole point <laughs> but but you know it's it's you know definitely a bold point to make that like all roads right, lead right. to you know the red green or blue version of this same series of events
1: so yeah we've kind of uh so we've talked about um kind of what we mean when we're talking about remakes remasters uh et cetera, et cetera and now replaying so
0: i guess next we've time we've arrived we wanna... at canonical replays yeah so next time on this thing <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll talk about that um, yeah, I'll probably put in some intermission music. Yes, go to the lobby, get yourself a snack, and uh, I'll see you in a few seconds, dear listener. Um, so we're back. Welcome back. Uh, we, we, as long as we're you know pulling back the veil and letting everybody know that we're doing this in two parts, we should say part one was yesterday, Thursday, June 10th, and today is part two on uh, on Friday, June 11th. So. Uh, so, so, you know, E3 stuff is actually starting to happen while we're talking. But again, we're not talking about that. We were gonna uh, we were gonna ask if if you, Luce, have a catcher in the rye of games, right? Like <laughs> you were saying, you revisit that at, at, at you know many times in uh, in life, despite <laughs> despite the cultural uh, uh, connotations of of that. But that isn't really what it's about, right? It's just it's yeah. a book that speaks uh- to you at different times.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say the, the simple answer to that to anyone who's like you know giving me the side eye is uh, I I'm a I'm a prose heavy guy and um, I I really like um, Salinger's prose a lot. It's very terse and weird, especially by today's standards. So it's it's uh, fun to
0: go back to. I don't think we've ever talked about this in the podcast, but when I was a kid and I was trying to suss out like what is genre fiction versus what is like literary fiction, the what I came up with then which I think is more right than most definitions actually, is literary fiction is when someone says or does something that doesn't make sense until you think about it thematically, right? That doesn't doesn't follow in terms of plot or character in any obvious way, and the whole point is for you to have to think about it. <laughs> Salinger is like pure uncut that in some ways, and I think that's part of what's what always brings me back.
1: Mm. I can see that, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So, Catcher in the Rye, book you revisit is there a, so so like let's let's just to review there are things that are like replaying games but are not replaying games there's remakes there's remasters there's forever games that want you to come back to the yard and that assumption is baked into the design it, it may even be baked into the design in ways that make the game less enjoyable even as you're coming back to it sometimes <laughs> but when we talk about replaying sort of canonically we're talking about a game with a beginning a middle and an end to which you get to you know you get to the end of it and then you at some point go back to the beginning do you have a game like that?
1: For you? Yeah, I actually uh, I couldn't believe it. I hadn't thought of it, especially because there's a very uh, I don't know, maybe not very popular there. There's a at least a somewhat well-known uh, meme of it now. Um, it's actually uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, mm, the first there's that, time there's I've, a
0: couple of really good memes on that one. Yeah,
1: yeah. The I mean the the biggest one, of course, is uh, is the. Uh, the uh what do you call if it? the, the fine the, the fine for a crime yeah. is a fine
0: then the crime only exists for the lower classes yeah which, exactly. which is extremely um, true by the way
1: and it, yeah yeah and it's funny because uh i had forgotten that line was in there and that's part of the reason i play that game a lot the first time when did that game come out i want to say all the the sort of like uh i think of anyway as golden era like square games came out like in like a 97, 99 period. I want to say like it came out in 98, somewhere in tactics
0: that. was actually the initial release was June 20th, 97. Um, yeah. Was yeah, that, yeah. was that Japan though? Or was that, uh, yeah, uh, North America was January 28th, 1998. And I actually remember you and I being in a target at a time when you had just played final fantasy seven and it had blown your mind and you were ogling a copy of final fantasy tactics. And I'm sure I, it
1: was I, target. Cause if it was 98, it might've been Kmart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it might've been Kmart. You're totally. Right. It was for sure a big box store, but it very well might've been Kmart anyway. Yeah,
1: tactics. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I that love that game. And I was gonna say, so in so in '98, how old we were? Eleven. We were eleven. And so that game is a particularly good one to play over and over because I remember the first time I played it, um, I read everything. Like with seven, seven, seven is a very straightforward plot in terms of like you know goal and um, character dialogue and motivations. Like it's pretty easy to follow. Tactics. I remember getting lost a lot. I didn't have the historical ta- context. I maybe wasn't thinking um as politically from like the sort of western european uh war was it was i'm trying to remember if i'm getting confused tactics was uh war of the roses or is that game of thrones i'm i, I know that there's it is both there was something inspired. in the okay. water
0: because the the first the first uh song of ice and fire book was published in 1996 and that the whole stark lannister thing is very much also the york lancaster thing but the, there is and, and caveat i played the shit out of final fantasy tactics when it came out have not played it since i remember it <laughs> also being a war of the roses kind of thing as far as what the core conflict of, of like the war in the game is
1: so yeah your memory might be better than mine because I like I said I, I played it through and I didn't have that historical context and I didn't really like it sort of washed over me and so then I wanted to replay the game when it came out when I got my PSP years later and um, I think I got my PSP right around the time that the uh, the tactics uh I can't remember the the name of it but the the remaster basically that was made for the PSP came out which was actually a big motivation for me to get it because at the time, um, the PSP was relatively inexpensive because I think it was sort of towards the end of its cycle. Um, the, and, um, the tactics game that had been announced, which was basically just a remaster. Um, had, that going to be they, my
0: question. How rem how remastery remakey was it? Like how much was um, changed or added?
1: Not much. I mean, they, they added some stuff, but they used, I think the same assets. There was nothing graphical about it, um, that had been upscaled or, um, redone okay i think they might have added i want to say maybe like ash from um final fantasy 12 might have been in it at that point or because they they had cloud for years and um
0: cloud was it, the, the cloud cameo was in the original right that I'm not yeah yeah that, that, that's that yeah. been
1: there um but but I, I digress i i got it because uh i was excited to play the co-op and what i ended up doing was replaying um I mean, you have to replay the campaign anyway, but it was fun to replay because so much of that context I had now. And I was also just able to follow a little better. And, uh, man, that game really goes hard. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, dude. I had, uh, I had forgotten kind of how, um, how much of a work it was about, you know, the, 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 the coming up and failings of the, the uh, lower class and sort of examining it from that lens right from uh especially the deleted character i think it does fumble a little bit at the end in terms of it's like you know especially kind of in uh pre oh god i I don't even want to set a timeline because i'm really bad i mean some people have been doing this research for years so let's just say before it was popular to sort of um start Re-examining this whole idea of like, whoa, you're just as bad as the bad guys uh, for me in my personal. <laughs> oh, my spirit, God. I'm really quick. Idiot. The
0: history of both sides is an article I should totally write. But anyway, yes, please continue.
1: Yeah. For me, um, it definitely exists in a pre, um, let's say for me personally, Bioshock Infinity world or <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is bullshit. Um, so I didn't quite pick up on it until later, but like yeah, the whole delete it, like, oh, he's actually as bad as the people he was trying to stop. And look look what the the path to power did to, you know, corrupt him. And, you know, that's not wrong. But the way it's presented is uh you know a little dicey when it comes to like, you know, looking at motivation and at, you know, the way that actual power structures work. And yeah. Um, anyway, but the point is I got all of that from a second playthrough at, you know, in an older time and um I think I played it okay, so yeah, so that if I played that in college that would have been at around 2021 i was how old i was when i did that and then i played it again five six years later um this uh after my daughter but before my boys um and uh yeah again just got like kind of a, a lot out of the the um the plot just from playing it again so when you so played I really that I, third
0: time did you replay the original or did you play the the psp one
1: the psp one at this point um i mean i could boot up the original but i'm I'm wondering. I think at the time it was just made more sense to do the PSP. Probably um, mm-hmm. that's it. So that's kind of to your And this, I think, that might be a good lead into maybe the last game you played because I think you are a bit more of a purist when it comes to that. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Because in my head, it never occurred to me like if I want the real experience, I should plug in, you know, the PS2 and pop in the Tactics disc. Um, I felt pretty satisfied just pulling out the PSP and um, reapproaching the game from that. Uh, from that iteration, um, well, yeah. So, so the last thing you played, what, do, what do you know if it would have been specifically on the original console or emulation?
0: What's, what's the deal, man? Mm, well, okay. So let me, let me, let me defend myself a little bit because I, I think. Um maybe I'm a purist I, I, I don't know I, I'm actually really into the idea of like emulation and making things accessible and I'm a little fascinated by the idea of there being no definitive version of things like with the Zelda 2 example like like in some yeah. sense it would be cool if someone tried to do that and, and some people do just not the companies that own the games.
1: Purist might be a strong word I guess what I meant is I can see you at least thinking about it right like totally if I haven't no, already When, when I play
0: when I play PS1 games I missed or want to go back to like the way I would do it was on the, the PS Classics thing on the PlayStation 3 because they were basically untouched i i think this is maybe a hot take is it a hot take i don't know anyway it's my take uh regardless of temperature i think square enix are kind of uniquely bad stewards of their back catalog this was probably not as true at all in the psp era but when they put out like final fantasies on on newer machines now it's like the fonts are wrong and there's like weird upscaled sprites and it just it doesn't look very good i i think what are is... some other examples of
1: stuff that i i guess i have not um i'm not aware of some of the other ones but
0: the finals done. fantasy are the are the big ones um and and, and i think it's maybe um There's a really oh they
1: did there was that big release of uh, Final Fantasy VII on Steam a few Mm. years back
0: I guess and then Mm -hmm. uh... which I think I correct somebody for sure correct me if I'm wrong but I believe that was based on the original PC release which was itself kind of kind of jank uh, in in deep ways but there's also um, Robert Yang wrote a really good piece about the upscaled textures in the FF12 re release and how they actually kind of like remove some of the artistry because you know because there were like really interesting technical things of how you put that much detail into, into into something I believe all the textures in that game were symmetrical, so they only had to store half as much information. And like you you just miss some of this detail in what they do. Like they're they're not they're just interested in selling it to you again, it feels like to me. They're not super interested in like a legacy. Um and, mm-hmm. and again, that's not to say other game companies are are super great at it. Um, you know, Nintendo tends to be really respectful of their own catalog when they deign to re-release things. But hey, <laughs> that's that's when they feel like it. Uh, and the and the model can be kind of strange and and B you know there as we've talked about before on the show I think there's reason to believe that they used some pirated roms at one point or another cuz they didn't you know preserve things any better than anyone else did so so all that to say i i am all for all forms of preservation and moving things ahead and like there there is no perfect way to play you know, a game like it was back in the day, except to get the original console and the original software and a CRT monitor and whatever. And now I'm you know, just
1: thinking about game remakes as like a boat of Theseus type situation. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, there, there's there's something to that. Moving I think. forward. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm trying to think of a game that's been remade enough times that it's in full ship of Theseus territory, but there's got to be ones that are that are close. I mean, maybe the FF7 remake is is a good example, right? Like I was thinking
1: of older games like, te-
0: like Tetris. Can you play? the original tetris at this point pong huh well i mean yeah I, there's no way to play the original pong or like you know like really early games tennis for two and space war <laughs> without finding i'm even record.
1: talking about from like a uh, what you were talking about like preservation reporting like point of view. like would, would any of the companies even have the original code or for that matter have any interest in being like play pong the way it was originally
0: meant to be played like would anyone bite at that i, <laughs> I mean I you know a small number of nerds. Those are the kinds of things that end up as like museum displays, I think. Um, and yeah, I don't know the specific case of tetris. i'm 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 quite curious now. I don't know. I don't know uh, if we have the original source code. We don't have the original source code for most of this stuff because it's just like there was no culture of of saving it. The priority was secrecy, not preservation. Yeah. right the idea the idea was like, this is your your trade secret. it's your it's your secret sauce, whatever. Um, the last game I replayed to go all the way back to the actual question you asked was um, speaking of there being maybe no definitive version. I mean, the last game I like replayed, replayed was near automata after playing near. And... Yeah, and I mean, to
1: be clear, the last games like before, like I mentioned tactics sort of as a standout because it's like a front end and middle. And, I mean, a front middle and, end.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, totally, uh, totally.
1: But I have definitely played the souls games over and over ad nauseum. I yes. kind of don't count those just because, um, Like you said, it's baked into the the structure. Like there's new game pluses. There's, I think with uh, Dark Souls three, you can't get the um, the rings achievement without
0: playing through at least three times. Was that right or two times? Uh, I mean, there's some uh, there's some you know you you could just have someone hand you all the rings, I guess. But if you if you're playing it the way they intend to play it, (laughs) yes, I think you need three playthroughs. Uh, And this is you know this is a notion that comes from Demon Souls. Uh, The game's maybe. Well, the game, Dark Souls 1 backed off on it a little bit. Then Dark Souls 2 is like that. Dark Souls 3 is like that. Um, yes, totally. There's like, a again, like some kind of baked in reason to replay or keep playing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the near Automata thing is just, just for me, maybe it, it comes down to like the no definitive version thing. Part of the excuse I gave myself was I have a PS5 now and I played it on PC the first time and I used a fan patch and whatever. So like playing the PS4 version on a PS4 Super Pro uh, gave me a fig leaf. But if I'm honest, I just wanted to like experience the story again. Um, do I have a game that's like my Catcher in the Rye that I revisit pretty often? I've played Super Mario RPG a whole bunch of times. That's probably like the longest one that I, I replay a lot. Finish
1: that game one day. It's good. It's good. <laughs> no,
0: I, I know it's good. <laughs> I have no doubts. I just Why do you hate I Super get Mario dis- RPG?
1: I hate Super Mario RPG <laughs> because, <laughs>
0: because
1: I just uh, I always get distracted. Somehow those,
0: those those Super Nintendo era games, those are the ones that I'll sort of replay anytime they get re released in any form. I've played through Yoshi's Island end to end a whole a whole mess of times um that era of Kirby games Kirby's Dream Land 3 and Kirby Superstar I mentioned earlier uh in in part 1 but again mm. all of that is you know to some degree research and to some degree an excuse these are just like some of the games I'm most nostalgic for and have the fondest memories of and get the most texturally out of revisiting Mario RPG is kind of interesting cuz like it is I don't know, I guess it's in it's it you know, on one end of that same golden age for for Square you were talking about. Yeah, what year would that have been? I think that was towards uh, like
1: the Well, it's funny I say cycle, but a lot of these consoles had cycles way longer than I would have thought.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um well Super Mario RPG came out in nineteen ninety six, yeah. So right in that right in that sweet sweet, sweet golden time. <laughs> um you know, and that was, you know, around the same time as when was Chrono Trigger? 95. So, you know, this was they were they were at the height of their powers. And I think, um, you know, I wasn't that into JRPGs when I first played that game, so it was kind of a gateway drug, but it's also just like, it's got this tone, no Final Fantasy, no Mario game has quite hit, where it is like, it's, it's whimsical and cartoony, but it also has a certain weight and heft to it when you get to that town and it's just like cleaned out and under siege you get some real scouring of the shire vibes <laughs> like it you know it, it goes hard in some ways but it's not self-serious because it can't afford to be because you're mario um it well i, I mean I, I say that but i mean and this is maybe why i'm not as into for example kingdom hearts because it like it, it goes for my taste a little far in that direction where you know we're uh you know mickey vowing revenge or whatever uh, <laughs> which which is not fair because I haven't played through the games. I've just I've observed you playing them and found and found that to be not fully my jam. Um, but yeah, all, all that to say, there are a handful of SNES games I replay pretty frequently. Um, but I I do struggle, especially in the last like ten years of my life, like I said earlier, to to justify replaying a really long narrative game rather than playing something new and related, and that's. Silly, because there's almost certainly stuff I don't remember, especially if the last time I played I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and also just because it's fine to spend time enjoying things. But there's just there's so much stuff out there that a true replay, number one, feels you know odd to me, and you know number two. I, for that reason, I can almost feel trapped or abused by forever games. Cause it's like, Re- release your iron grip on me, destiny monster hunter. I have, I have other things <laughs> to do. I want to see green, green pastures. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? The platform thing. We were talking about reasons to replay something with the beginning, middle and end and-, and showing it to a friend, especially if there's co-op is a big part of it. And like help helping them through in the case of the souls games, that feels really good. Helping someone overcome something.
1: Yeah. The other reason is, sure. you know,
0: is-, is platform re-releases, you know, you're saying you, you, uh, you know, replaying Final Fantasy Tactics on a on a new system you had was a big thing. That's how I feel about some of, some of these Nintendo games. Really, like replaying indie games on Switch is almost a ritual, especially if they're relatively short. Uh, no. As we're talking, Uberangi Generation, the post apocalyptic uh, ish <laughs> photography game, uh, came out on Switch, and that's a that's a blast because you can you can turn the Switch to get a get a vertical shot and whatever. You know that. <laughs> It's almost a cliche at this point to talk about indies getting a second life on Switch. But I, but I think that's, you know, some people are discovering them for the first time on Switch. I think a lot of people, you know, kickstarted them or played them on Steam or Itch or whatever, and then they're they're revisiting them on Switch, and that's a, a pretty healthy cycle.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. You brought up the Switch, and the Switch is a really interesting console because I'm thinking about the rush I sort of get from buying games that I've already played. So, I, so there's a few titles I've bought for the switch that are replays. And I, I don't know that I've even played them through start to finish, but I know that I bought them with the intention of doing that. Uh, most recently I can think of a uh, Katamari Damacy when it was released for, um, mm-hmm. the switch. Uh, I just felt like I had to get it. Um, I have a very personal attachment to that game. I remember, uh, like most games, I was late to the party, but I bought it, um, kind of on a whim right after I had my, um, uh, right after, uh, I had a home invasion and, um, my PS2, my original PS2 was stolen. Um, and so I had a bunch of friends that got together and they bought me the new PS2. I don't remember the the name of the model, but it was that skinnier one. And, um, because a lot of my games had been taken or maybe they hadn't been at any rate, I know I ended up wanting to get some stuff to, you know, to get back on on the, the console. So I went to Best Buy and just happened to see Conor Martin bought it, and uh, it was a very joyful, cheerful game that uh, I played a lot right after going through something kind of dramatic like a home invasion. And um, so I just felt like I had to own it. And yeah, the Switch, something about the Switch, I think the fact that it's, you know, it is um, a home console, but also that you can just take it with you wherever you want. It uh, There is a sort of different, um, I would argue, maybe, good, at least definitely good as far as, like you said, breathing new life into games that people hadn't necessarily discovered. Um, uh, Endorphin release (laughs) that comes with doing it that way. Um, Mm, And so, like, a lot of the times when a game is re-released or um, if a new game even comes out, my my first thought is, okay, why wouldn't I get this for Switch? And lately the answer has been because, you know, my son plays uh, on the Switch a little more than I do these days. And so if he's playing, I might want to play a game on um, my desktop. Mm-hmm. But um, before he was kind of getting into that, it was definitely more like I'm getting it on the Switch unless there's some good reason not to. And um, I think that that's uh, the Switch for some reason more than any other console I've seen. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, just because I didn't really start getting into indie games until later. Um, it seems like it's just the 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 indie friendliest system. Um, just because it's not... You know, it's not sold as like the most, you know, next generation, top of the line, this or that. It just kind of feels like a very, uh. And I'm not trying to, you know, like, um, um, well, I can't think of the word, but oh, shill. I'm not trying to shill for Nintendo, but just like you know, it it feels like a very humble, <laughs> um, a console as far as these things go.
0: There's a history. Uh, I mean, like you know, the the um the 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 not even indie so much, but the 3DS had a bunch of smaller projects. Like when, you know, it's easier to take a risk or something. The Switch's position is a little bit unique. I mean, like the, you know, some of it comes down to business relationships as much as, if not more than hardware. I mean, uh, the Xbox 360 was a big, it was kind of in some ways for a lot of people, the first big indie console uh, with like Super Meat Boy and Braid and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, because Microsoft fostered those relationships. Um, and, you know, Nintendo has at various times, I think, of World of Goo on the Wii as being a mm, moment for me that was like, yeah. oh my God, indie games are a thing. Like, I, you know, like I was I was dimly aware, but, um, you know, my, my my mind was a bit blown. Um, and then you go backwards, and you're like, oh, well, stuff on PC and Cave Story exists and whatever, right? But but it, it has to do with being intentional about, about bringing that stuff forward. And Nintendo has certainly embraced that. They have the, the whole notion of, nindies and everything you know um discoverability is still a problem because the more games there are you have an inherent trouble with people (laughs) finding yeah (laughs) i've I've
1: noticed that when i go to the e-shop it's like uh there's a lot of stuff on there
0: (laughs) yeah and i I don't think we have a solution to that yet like you have your launch window and then you can make the game 50 cents and those are the two ways to definitely get some amount of visibility other than that uh simon Carlos writes a a, or, or curates a very good column about that Idea, just like you know, the weekend discoverability, uh, which I can link to, but it's it's a challenge for for indie devs. But it's undeniable, to your point, that there's been a lot of success with you know things that came out not too long ago getting um getting re released on the Switch. Um, I just read uh, Jason schreier's book Press Reset um, about you know problems with the game industry. it Talks a lot uh, about Bioshock Infinite, actually uh as sort of the er ur- example of know really? an auteur holding all these people hostage and then blowing up the studio because so many great indie games came including the blackout club which uh which uh, which i which i play with uh, with your son a fair bit came yeah, from the totally shrapnel irrational games incidentally exploring. what was that
1: oh i just said i would totally show for the blackout club incidentally that's a great game I'm, it is such a great i'm, re- game. I'm re- it's really a shame that it, it didn't take off like it should have it really should have been like another left for dead it's 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 a really it's a really um, well conceived game I should say it's a little janky in the design I don't mind jank myself but it would have been cool because if it was more popular probably they could have ironed some of that out
0: yeah totally no I mean it's it's there is no game like it I think you know this is an aside officially but we you know you were asking me like you we're know, full of asides it's true we are, <laughs> oops all asides you're you're um we you know you were saying like what are some more games like the blackout club you know he's really, really enjoying the blackout club. And there kind of aren't any more games quite like the blackout club, that combination of movement and stealth and spooky, but not crazy violent. And yeah. yeah and he's a
1: very specific demographic, right? Cause he's like young and impressionable. And totally, so totally. you don't, yeah. Like I, I'm not going to sit my son down and have him play left for dead with a uh, with randos (laughs)
0: for sure for sure uh if you want to hear more about the blackout club i did interview jordan thomas uh uh, i think if i recall before it came out so i didn't know what the hell i was talking about um and certainly a bunch of the stuff we now know as far as like the interactive theater element and like you may drop into a game where the gods are talking to you as a live actor none of that stuff was happening yet but we did talk about the the base of the game all that to say that's one example of something that came from the shrapnel of irrational studios breaking up. Another game was *The Flame and the Flood*, which uh, I don't know if you've played that one. Um,
1: There's so many games you could you could fill an entire <laughs> online library with games that I haven't played.
0: Not only that, they have done that. Um, <laughs> this was a game. Last that... day for
1: the uh, Palestinian aid bundle. Ooh, on yeah,
0: yeah. And well, if it's if it's the day they were recording, then that's not useful information to people who are listening, unfortunately.
1: But no, just just a little factoid.
0: Yeah, what a great bundle. Oh, one
1: thousand games over, I think.
0: I am j- just sifting through the tabletop system stuff. Was like an afternoon's work. It was like so crazy. There's so much good stuff in there. Yeah, as long as we're doing asides, there was a real, there was one in there that's like an extremely. It's like about Jewish uh, leftist you know like radicals revolutionaries uh in in eastern europe and the rules are like you know this is this is like a historically situated setting but you're not trying to recreate history also the goal of your campaign cannot be to create israel or to go to israel (laughs) you're trying to create uh uh, you know a miracle where you are not be a uh, not you know engage in settler colonialism and i was like "This this is a good game anyway what I was saying was The Flame of the Flood, really great game, very heartfelt. It's like a, you know, kind of survival game about like a post-apocalyptic United States. You're on a river, uh, like I, I suppose an implied Mississippi. Um, and, it you know, it it was the indie thing where folks developed it on their savings and it came out and didn't make that much of a splash. Um, and I think at the time, because these, you know, the team was coming from the A world, they were like, oh, the game's a failure. <laughs> like, pack it in but it kept selling over time and like it sold really well on the switch and all of that. Right. So like it, it, it in the book is kind of the prototypical example of like that being a thing now that there's a way to sell games that has to do with them finding an audience gradually, which I think the blackout club has to, to a certain degree, right? Like it's, it's, it doesn't have as big a fan base as it deserves in my humble opinion. And I believe yours, but it has found an enthusiastic audience and that can happen over time and in the case of Flame and the Flood, not Blackout Club to be clear, uh, which I don't believe is on Switch, you know, new platforms have definitely been a big part of that. And that actually, the Blackout Club um, brings me to another thing that is like adjacent to replaying, but not quite the same, which is early access, right? I think I do this more than you, but I really, really enjoy getting a game right when its early access period starts and then checking back in as they add stuff um currently doing this with rogue legacy two, for example right like playing the early version where it may you may run into a room where it just says content goes here later <laughs> or uh there may be a bug or whatever uh things may change in terms of balance i really enjoy that um i i, I totally get that not everyone has the time or the patience uh and would just like to play the finished thing but you know, mean, that in my w-
1: case yeah it would just be time yeah. yeah it does sound fun i mean if i if i hindsight's 2020 20, um if I'd been aware of Hades before its official release, uh, I probably would have really enjoyed uh, watching that game get built. Up it was a rad way, way to experience up.
0: Hades. Yeah. It meant, it meant that it would, it was weird in terms of like how much currency I had by the time the thing, <laughs> by the time the end game was there and how, and, and what things I didn't have and what things I didn't even know to look for. It was definitely weird. Like your, your experience was, was in some ways maybe more the intended one, but it was cool to be there kind of from the jump
1: actually it's funny so you mentioned rogue legacy too and you and then we just talked about hades so um those are obviously two roguelikes and kind of circling back to we've been talking about you know um, remakes and replays um and and it's funny because my uh, i guess both of our um our replays are games that are very clearly built to have a beginning middle and end mine more so than yours and yours having the caveat of like, you know, and and maybe this is my point um, that you need to play through it several times to get kind of like everything, or at least the whole picture of the story. Um, Is that maybe an earlier thing than at least than that I was thinking um, that games have had to kind of consider this model for longevity? Like we talk about how, let's use my example, tactics um, was probably built you know, released in 98, at least to be just a, a game that came out that you played and it was on a <laughs> right. disc and you had a memory card and, you know, probably Sony was already at least conceiving of the PS2 and what that would mean going forward. Um, so maybe they weren't as concerned, but it does seem like today, most games have to be built to expect some level of replayability or, um, uh, and, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the forever games like Destiny 2 or WoW or, um, I, I guess Tor, Uh, the, the old republic is still going. Um, those games obviously are are engineered by design to you know be the, to 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 get money and to just keep going. But I'm thinking more like, I guess I guess the question I'm arriving at is like, how come games can't just be made anymore? And do, <laughs> and do, and does approaching them with this idea of replayability is that because of a fear of backlash or is there some monetary benefit to doing that because i i can't see how from a business perspective for example um what's the most recent game uh let's say dark souls 3 having you know inherent replay stuff baked in versus sekiro which i would say is a little more like just a, a regular title like yeah, I'm, I'm struggling no, a little bit to like saying. to kind of hone my question. Secure. And I guess Dark Souls three, real, real quick, just to finish. Yeah, yeah. I guess Dark Souls three did see a little resurgence. I want to say a couple years ago when they um, when it went on sale. I, I don't know if it was like the first time it was on sale, but it was a significant sale. I know the population did increase a little bit. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just curious, like like what's the motivating factor you think for like devs to consider that because. It is interesting that in a way going forward, you kind of, I mean, well, obviously the indie space uh, occupies this a little differently because those games get made, I would say with a little bit more um, of a concrete vision and maybe not so much of the worry about, you know, um, but, and obviously that's just me guessing, but at any rate, yeah. What do you, what do you think? So to the question I, I couldn't ask, but that you understand. I th-
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good thing we have a mind meld going there. <laughs> There is so so there is a market motivation to keep people playing, especially on certain um a certain, you know, like like Apple Arcade, right? Um what is a successful game on Apple Arcade? It's a subscription service, so it's not about revenue per se. It's about like the number of downloads and the amount of time people play, we think. Uh Apple's a little closed-mouthed about it. So there is a motivation to make something more like grindstone, where you just keep playing. Versus uh, Jenny Leclue, maybe, which is you know, it's it's a long game, but it's narrative. Like you're you, you're once through, and it's it's not too branchy, right? Because that's the thing about Sekiro, even though it doesn't have the multiplayer elements, you can't do like a you know, there's there's always these events in the in the Souls community, like return to Lothric, return to Lordran, return to Drauglayk, where people you know make the servers populated again intentionally. With a single player game, you can't do that. Sekiro does still have that thing where you you know there's a reason to play New Game Plus uh beyond just like wanting to get all the achievements which is that the certain NPC stories can play out very different ways you know
1: and beyond desiring suffering right
0: well sure well I, of course although that is always the main motivation <laughs> but that notion of pathing that's a longer tradition in games I think i mean like you know we're talking about this this golden era uh Planescape Torment came out in 1999 i didn't play it at the time uh but you know that the, that tradition of CRPGs where one choice precludes another, you know, not just like the Paragon Renegade path, but a bunch of little things take you down a branch that means there are other branches you didn't take. That way of rewarding replaying comes from way back. And I think it's, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't want to say it's never cynical, but, but there's something baked into the design that like, that's an interesting reason to replay that like, you know, Disco Elysium is a common example people will be familiar with. You can approach Virtually every situation very differently based on your character sheet or choices you make or just whether you fail or succeed at the roles, you know, so there there have always been certain designs that are friendlier to replaying. I also think we're dealing with with gamer expectation a little bit there are there is still a lot of you know you'll always see snarky steam reviews about like how many hours you get out of it which you and i have talked a lot about like i don't think that's the right way to approach games is like how many hours of it of your life did it eat (laughs) is not really the main thing i'm looking for at this point Mm -hmm. but it means that there is a certain inherent risk to a game that you just kind of go through and and finish and that's true like at the AAA level where you know to a certain degree naughty dogs games are like this they're very high spectacle uh but until the last of us part 2 anyway they're relatively short the same thing could be said of like certain indie games like you know gone home or uh or uh what remains of Edith finch are are games that you know you can you can get something out of a replay in the same way you can with a book in some ways but they're there's nothing systemic to keep bringing you back to you know to collect all the Seashells or whatever, you know. There's nothing in there to like to 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 draw you in other than like the text itself. They are sort of like short, self-contained. Genesis Noir is maybe another recent example that is like it's beautiful and it's pretty self-contained and it's like three hours and it took years and years to make, <laughs> and that's risky, right? So it's it's understandable that yeah. people want to hedge their bets in that sense and create. When I talked to Jordan Thomas, he said the Blackout Club was the question games team trying to find a sweet spot between making the kind of rich, like narrative experience that they wanted to make and creating an infinite meaning machine <laughs> that people could just play forever right. and ever and ever, you know, like, cause if you can manage to do something that is both, which I think, you know, some roguelikes definitely attempt to do that's, that is the spiciest meatball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh it's funny. I'm, I'm I, I And of course this is where um the idea of like uh clear definitions gets sort of murky because i'm trying to think of like again using my example of tactics like what what's the most recent game that felt like it was just designed to be a game but was still <laughs> let's say lengthy enough to to cover the the whatever weird hang up people have about you know money versus time um and also didn't necessarily want you to replay it over and over again mm. this is a sort of narrowing yeah yeah and and uh, and, I, and so it makes just makes me wonder: is there any such thing as like a a pure playthrough anymore? Just because of the fact that you know so much of you know what's funny I I just realized there's another game
0: that I have replayed, and that's, um, Modern Warfare Two. Really? <laughs> yeah, I I'm not saying that like that's a bad game. It's a seminal game, but it, it hasn't a, occurred a, to me to boot it up in a long time. It's not it's an interesting game because a lot of stuff
1: happens, um, especially building off of the first one. And it's just like hyper masculine war drama. It's just so ridiculous. Um, but what like, I kind of love that about it, like like independent of the fact that there's like, you know, 20 other Call of Duty games and that I'm not invested in the franchise in any meaningful way. Um, that game is just sort of a, to me, for me personally, sort of just like a moment in time where there was just this really crazy weird thing happening on screen <laughs> um you know our 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 uh, our uh, notable friend ian likes to joke about film i can't remember the name but that there's a uh, a reviewer or a, a critic who says something like uh like uh, why 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 is that why do movies always have to be good? Isn't it just enough to be <laughs> to stare at a screen and see a face huge? Right, right. <laughs> and that's sort of my attitude with Modern Warfare too. Like it's it's one of the most game games if that if that means anything to mm-hmm. anyone out there. Like it, you it's first person shooter. It's like I said, it's this weird hyper masculine um, thing, uh, you know, war sort of uh, um, military uh, fantasy. Uh, fulfillment kind of thing and it just and that part of it specifically isn't meaningful to me it's just sort of in the design like it's just this really bizarre like almost 80s terrorist story <laughs> um and something about it is just really fun for me to play through there, there, there's no I I don't play through it and discover something new I don't play through it and like find new meaning <laughs> or anything like that it's just sort of a weird it feels good to play and um I've done it now several times, maybe like once every other year. I'll just boot it up and uh, just kind of have a good time uh, being... I don't even remember the main character's name. I think Ramirez. (laughs) And then then later you become Soap again, which is like a big hype moment in that game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just... a. Yeah, it's funny. I had forgotten about that one. That that one doesn't... Again, there's a multiplayer mode, but I would differentiate that from the campaign. I don't know that there's really any motivation to replay the campaign that's kind of built in, especially because most mm-hmm. of those games do just, they're kind of like these multiplayer machines that just happen to have a campaign thrown on. And I mean, at that time I think they were approaching the campaign with a little more care because it's just, it feels like they were trying to sell, tell some kind of story more so than the later ones, at least what I'm told, because I don't play much of the later ones. Sure. Um So, I don't really know that I have a good point to make but <laughs> no, it's no, more it's... Of just an, it's just more of an observation that the the game that the games uh, that that's you know kind of I guess maybe to what I was saying earlier that like that there aren't really games made in that way like obviously the replayability of those games are is kind of cut in half between offering a campaign service and offering a multiplayer service um but I guess what it comes down to is that then replayability as kind of what we've been discussing, that that there's something to be gained from um, observation and uh, uh, learning, for lack of a better word. And there's something to be gained from just kind of pure uh, emotion, catharsis. Yeah, (laughs) well, you're
0: pointing out that like one reason to revisit any piece of media is because like I'm older now. I bet it's gonna speak to me. And like you know a lot of you know I'm in a, I'm in a classics book club with a bunch of people right now. and like rereading *Their Eyes Were Watching God* and, and *Invisible Man* and *The Great Gatsby*. You know, in, in my 30s rather than in my teens, I am for sure getting other things out of them. And I I don't think we're in any way implying games can't do that. We have a few examples of games that kind of do do that. I forgot that I replayed *Portal 2* the campaign not that long ago, and I replay *Portal yeah. one I semi-frequently. And we did the <laughs> co-op together, right? All that's true. But I think it's also because initially noting. we
1: were kind of looking for like or examples like why did we play through what was the meaning and we're kind of we kind of forgot that there's also just a like a monkey emotional impulse to just like
0: i want to play that again i think most yeah most tv shows people rewatch they do as comfort food right like and that's totally legit we're also huge liars because we we say what what game do we replay we can't think about it whenever we're together we replay goemon's great adventure
1: like yeah i guess i i discounted that one a little bit because um we have not played it through to completion i think more recently
0: we just haven't had time yeah we haven't been together long enough or we've been focused enough on other things when we've been together but but i i can't think of a time we've been in the same room where we didn't recently. at least attempt to replay that game yeah, yeah 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 and we've and we've played it through multiple times in multiple languages and and, and all that kind of stuff so i mean that's that's something we revisit and like I, there is always new stuff I get out of the design and the storytelling, and it is kind of quirky and such a relic of its time, and like the ways it's bad, and you know, like the <laughs> the ways the platforming is kind of unfair <sighs> that are actually ghost castle man fucking ghost castle. Those things actually make it more interesting in some ways. So like I you know it's I am revisiting it as a critic of the form, but also it's comfort food, right? It just feels good to play, and especially to be back in that world with you. Yeah, and yeah, we don't want to discount the simple joys of just going back to a place you like to be in
1: all right damn How are we, we find f- a good How place to edit. yeah I'm, be good. I'm wondering yeah because i i, I have to remind myself we have a part one because i'm like well we're at 40 but we'd said a lot yesterday
0: too. <laughs> yeah yeah no i think we're good i think we're good um well thank you everybody for listening um this was uh this was something we've been thinking about for a while and i know we were organizing our thoughts out loud but hopefully that's interesting to listen to i know that i i always learn a lot when we talk so so hopefully hopefully this <laughs> clarified things for people
1: yeah it's hard because uh you I, I, I guess, a little meta moment here. You're a very, I think you're a very good interviewer. Um, you do your research a lot. And I think that, uh, I, I guess I should say I apologize a little because I know when I come to the table, it's a little more off the cuff. <laughs> and uh, I also enjoy that, but it feels more like a conversation. And I don't, I, I I like listening to
0: people talk, but I don't know how always interesting it is to hear other people's conversation. <laughs> it all comes down to dynamic when it's a more off-the-cuff conversation so you know if if people are not charmed by the two of us together then uh you know to a certain degree that's going to be their problem but we we do try to make it substantive um and we we welcome feedback and all of that stuff
1: and Um, to be fair i mean i only pop in once in a while
0: i mean i'd love for you to pop in more but that's 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 maybe neither here nor there in regards to this conversation (laughs) stop apologizing Thank you for listening, everybody. The Everybody's Talking At Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with some time co-hosting from lucio valentino and support of every conceivable kind from francis michelle Cannon. our logo is by aaron perry zucker using icons from the noun project you can find the show everywhere podcasts are a thing including but by no means limited to wherever you're listening to it right now uh, if you'd like to support the show and you can do so without financial hardship you can buy something on our nexus page at nexus.gg etao or you can patreonize us at patreon.com etao thanks tremendously to our current patrons, with the extra specialist of thanks to the mysterious Ian Kay, Lucas Kosin, and Darth Raptora. I think that's it. Um, we have some exciting guests coming up, but we're still fiddling with schedules, so, uh, so that'll be revealed first to the patrons, and, and then to the broader world. Uh, thanks for sticking with us and hashing out the finer points of why people replay games with us, folks. It's appreciated. Thank you, and good night. And good luck. And happy replay. You don't need a reason.